after jumping into first place in the NFC West with a win over the Browns on Sunday. John Schneider is ready to roll the dice going all in. We're going to be breaking down the blockbuster trade to acquire Leonard Williams from the Giants on a jam-packed Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening north of the border in Vancouver, Canada, or across the country in Portland, Maine. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. We're going to be diving into John Schneider's latest trade deadline deal. It's going to be a jam-packed episode as we look at what the Seahawks gave up to bring in Leonard Williams, what he's going to be bringing to the equation for the Seahawks. And of course, as we do each and every Monday, we'll be tackling your questions in our Monday mailbag and dishing out our final takeaways. Monday musings, offense, defense, special teams, you name it. We're going to be covering it today. So without further ado, let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. After vaulting into first place, leapfrogging over the 49ers yesterday with a win against the Cleveland Browns, the Seattle Seahawks are going all in. John Schneider dealing a second-round pick in a 2025 fifth-round selection to the New York Giants for Leonard Williams, one of the best all-around defensive tackles in the NFL. Maybe this isn't a trade that we should have been surprised by because the USC connection, even though Pete Carroll was long gone when Leonard Williams played at USC, he's a player that Carroll said he's been following for a long time. He has always played well against the Seahawks. And maybe most importantly, Rob, he is the ideal scheme fit as a 300-pound defensive lineman that can play everywhere across the board. So from that standpoint, it made a ton of sense. And when the Giants were willing to eat most of the remaining contract for that second round pick, the Seahawks signed off on it and they bring in a player that has a chance to be a real game changer for that front line. That's absolutely correct, Corbin. A real game changer. I think that, uh, you know, when I was watching the game yesterday uh, on on the Fox broadcast, and they happened to do a little scroll of the Super Bowl odds. And I think they had the Seahawks listed as 10th or 12th highest ranking um, in terms of who they thought could win the Super Bowl. I- I'm curious how much that line has changed at this point, because as you said, John Schneider basically pushed all his chips into the table, and the Seahawks are absolutely going for it, folks. I mean, they, this is a club, of course, that, that woke up this morning because of their win in the San Francisco 49ers loss, find themselves in first place. And Corbin, as we entered this season, we talked about that our biggest concern with the Seahawks as a franchise um, was just the roster lack difference makers along the defensive line. And, you know, an awful lot of credit needs to be put out there for Jaron Reed, for Draymond Jones, for Mario Edwards Jr. They really have played well. But my goodness, if there was any type of an injury to any one of those three players, the drop-off was going to be precipitous. The Seahawks needed to find another big man 
man who could play. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that they were going to be getting a player who, frankly, is better than all three of those Seahawks I just mentioned. Six foot five, 305 pounds. Corby's got 35-inch arms. He's got power. He's got speed. There, there is very few defensive linemen who has his combination of size, strength, quickness uh this is an all pro kind of a caliber player that the seahawks i i get it you're giving up second round pick that everybody's freaking out about um you know a fifth round pick you're you're paying some price here but i i remember a, a mariners team frankly just in the, you know staying in the seattle area that refused to kind of go all in to trade down them much to the um the anger and frustration of a lot of fans here i, I think the seahawks deserve some credit they, they recognize that this they have a, yep. an opportunity here to compete and they're going for it. I, I don't like this move. I love this move. I love what it says to the rest of the players on the team. I love that uh, the Seahawks are giving up draft picks, which, you know me, I love the draft, but still a draft is always a roll of the dice. This is a proven difference maker at the biggest area of concern on this roster. And oh, by the way, I was watching some of Leonard Williams tape, Corbin, in my opinion, at least, his absolute best game so far this season happened to be against the San Francisco 49ers. I did not see anybody hit Brock Purdy harder than Leonard Williams did twice in, in that game. So I am very, very excited about this move from a Seahawk perspective. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that 49ers game because that is the first game that I watched. And even though the Giants got beat pretty bad in that game, that's been the story of the season for New York. That's why they are trading away players. But Leonard Williams was dominant in that game, and the 49ers had all kinds of issues keeping him out of the backfield. The last few weeks, it hasn't seemed like he's been quite as effective, but I think some of that boils down to, you know, when you're on a losing football team and even though there's talent in that defensive line, it's clear that that unit as a whole just has not met expectations this year. And I think it starts to rub off on even your leaders at, at times. And I think Leonard Williams, you know, he can maybe be excused a little bit for the fact that this is a team that made the playoffs last year. And then they come out and they start off the season one and five. Like that is not what they were expecting to have happen this year. But Coming to Seattle, you mentioned the size and the versatility, the length. This is a guy with over 600 career snaps covering the A-gap. So while he's not a prototypical nose tackle, he can play there. And if Jaron Reed can play there, then certainly the Seahawks can use him at that spot some. And he is a prototypical three-tech, a guy that can do a ton of damage covering up the B-gap. He can play off the end. He can stand up. There aren't very many 6'5", 300-pound men that can do that, but he is one of them that can. So he gives you that, that functionality in even and odd sets that really makes him unique for this front line. And I've been saying this all day. And if you've listened to our podcast before, maybe a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about this on our Monday mailbag, he was a guy that I mentioned I would love to see in a Seahawks uniform because I think he is one of the most criminally underrated players. He has only been in the playoffs one time in his NFL career with the Jets and the Giants. That was last year. And I think that has hurt him in terms of people noticing just how great of a football player that he is and his sack numbers have gone down the last couple of years, but he's still getting pressures right now. He's 14th in the NFL, according to PFF for defensive tackles in pressures. So he's still getting after quarterbacks. And I think when you look from the trade value perspective, I understand why some fans are bemoaning the idea. We're giving up a second round pick for a guy that's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. It could end up being a nine game rental. And I understand that fear, 
But this is not 2017. There's a lot of differences between when they traded for Sheldon Richardson. That was a desperation move before the season. And you're comparing apples to oranges. That was an aging team that had a lot of injuries, and they ended up missing the postseason. And Malik McDowell, we know the ATV accident, that forced the Seahawks to make that move. This is not the same situation. This is not a desperation move by John Schneider. This is a, we know the NFC is wide open. We're in first place in the NFC West. We have the second seed right now in the conference. We want to win a championship. That's what this move is all about. So comparing those two moves, there really isn't anything to compare, even the time of year. Richardson was traded for in training camp. This is a trade deadline deal for a team that clearly believes that they can win, not just the NFC West, but can compete for a chance to make the Super Bowl, especially with the way the 49ers are playing right now. This was an opportunity, as you mentioned, to send a message to the players, the coaches, the rest of the teams in the NFC. Hey, we're not messing around. This isn't last year. We're just happy to make the playoffs. We think we can do some real damage, and this is a player that can be that extra addition that can really get us over the hump in a wide-open conference. Exactly. It is a wide-open conference. And, you know, to those who are, are, are just looking at the statistics, and I love that you mentioned the, the, the quarterback pressures and that Leonard Williams is still very high uh, on that list. You know, think about the offensive lines that you're facing in the NFC East. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Cowboys, just to start off, are two of the absolute best offensive lines in all of football. They like to run the ball every bit as much as they throw the ball. This is a very different, uh, you know, type of, of offensive uh, alignments and strategies that they are employing in the NFCs that just are not quite as many opportunities to rush the passer as there would be in some of the more wide open teams out there. And look, the New York Giants have an awful lot of talent on the defensive line. We've talked about that before. Um, Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau, et cetera, et cetera. But still, I, I like the, the versatility that the Seahawks are employing. And I, I, again, when as you mentioned before with the Sheldon Richardson move, I, I think that these are very different moves. Um, as you said, Sheldon Richardson, that trade was before the season began. This is as the Seahawks are surging. I mean, they, of course, the Seahawks have lost two games, but really, I mean, the, obviously they, they went to halftime ahead of the LA Rams and they just came out very flat and lost that game. And then obviously they lost against the Cincinnati Bengals, but I think you can make an argument that they should have won that game. So, you know, it doesn't take too much kind of op Pete Carroll optimism to kind of squint your eyes and imagine the Seahawks being 7-0 and at this point. I don't know that there has been a team that has played more consistent football and ascending football in a lot of arguments than the Seattle Seahawks. And again, they just basically made a trade for an ace if I was going to um, you know, use the kind of a baseball analogy at the trading deadline. I mean, that is about as exciting as it gets. Um, you know, And then again, just kind of going back to Leonard Williams and what makes him such a unique player. You, you mentioned the functionality. It's the position flexibility, um, the, the, the verse, uh, excuse me, the, the depth that it now provides the Seahawks. And, uh, you know, again, if you're talking about this guy as a rental player, that's nine uh, regular season games. I mean, how many possible postseason games? As you mentioned, he's only played one time as his team made the uh, made the playoffs. So he, this is a player that I think is going to be hungry. I think he's going to be excited to come back to the West Coast. His entire NFL career has been on the East Coast after playing at USC. Gets drafted, of course, by the the Jets, and then gets traded to the New York Giants. I think this is going to be a homecoming for him. I think that the combination of he and the rest of the defensive line, including Frank Clark, that the Seahawks have brought 
brought in, um, I really think this sets up for the for the Seahawks to have as formidable of a defensive front as perhaps in all of the NFC. And you can bind that with the with the com, with the linebackers and of course the secondary the Seahawks have. Suddenly the Seahawks defense is about as scary as it gets in all of the NFL here on yep. the eve of Halloween. John Schneider is looking to this to be the move that really gets them over the hump. And this is a defensive line that's already exceeded expectations. But now you have that extra guy. You can rotate more. You can keep Jaron Reed more fresh. So there's a lot of positives to this. They're hoping that Leonard Williams is going to have, I don't want to say revival, because again, he's had pressures this year, but they're hoping putting him with the rest of the talent, he's going to have the edge guys as well, that he's going to be able to be far more disruptive getting quarterback hits and sacks in the Pacific Northwest. Coming up next, we're going to tackle your questions on our Monday mailbag. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought your way by our partners at eBay Motors. Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer and eBay Motors have hooked up to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Every week, every week, we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. Heading into week nine, let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay Guaranteed Fit. Fantasy Picks of the Week. Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard got the lead duties in Week 8 against the Texans, despite Miles Sanders being healthy and available. Although Hubbard struggled to get going in that matchup, he should find more running room against a Colts defense that has struggled mightily against the run. Panthers' power running should yield better results, but Hubbard can also have an impact in the passing game to deliver all around as a fantasy sleeper. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your automobile needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. as your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s tuning in. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Don't forget, tomorrow it is going to be Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll have plenty of words of wisdom coming out of this week's game against Cleveland and heading towards a tough road matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our Monday mailbag. Plenty of questions coming from X as well as YouTube. And quite frankly, we're not going to spend all these questions on Leonard Williams because obviously that's the exciting thing coming out of the Pacific Northwest. But we may mention his name a few times during this segment. Our first question for Rob here coming from Toxie974 on YouTube. What's to blame for the tight end group's lack of production? Is it offensive line injuries forcing them to block more, the presence of JSN and Bobo, or something else? I think it's mostly because of the the um, the injuries along the offensive line, the, the recognition of who the the Seahawks have faced over the last couple of weeks. Um, just recognizing that um, Will Disley is one of the best blocking tight ends in all of the NFL, in my opinion, and I have been very impressed by the improvement that I've seen from Kobe Parkinson and Noah uh, and, and Noah Fant in, in that regard as well. Um, and I think that the Seahawks still are going to the tight ends in critical situations. Of course, we saw the 
big reception by Noah Fant just in this past game here. Um, and, and so I I think that it's from a statistical standpoint, maybe the Seattle's tight ends are not producing quite as much as expected. Although remember, this is a three headed monster. This is not like some of the other NFL teams out there that are just focusing on one player. If you put all of Seattle's tight ends numbers into one player, then it would look a lot more impressive. But I think that the, 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 the obvious answer, at least in my opinion here is the fact that Seattle is just using their tight ends to protect a little bit more for Geno Smith. Yeah, I think that that's clear watching the film, that that's really the big thing. You're trying to provide support, especially on the right side with Stone Forsyth and Jason Peters yesterday at right tackle. You're trying to provide support for those guys going against vicious pass rushers like Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith. So that's a big part of it. But I also, I have felt like there has been a little bit less emphasis and some of it might be because JSN is coming on and Jake Bobo has been such a key contributor. I mean, there's one football, Rob. So we talked about this before the season. The numbers might not be there for the tight ends catching passes. There'll be games where it changes a little bit, but there's only one football and you have all these dynamic receivers. You got running backs that can catch. At some point, somebody is going to take a hit in the numbers department. It feels like we're seeing that some with these tight ends in the last couple of games. The offensive line injury situation certainly has not helped situations either. Next question here coming from Austin Nellums on X. Do you think we still have a shot at Chase Young? I'm going to be blunt. No, I, I don't think that that is going to be happening. Now, I will say this. I do not think that it is impossible the Seahawks will make another move here before tomorrow's deadline. I could see another trade, but you just dealt away a second round pick to bring in Leonard Williams. I just can't see them investing anything significant to try to trade for a player like Chase Young, who I don't think the commanders are going to give away for like a fifth round pick. So unless there was a deal like that and the commanders just literally wanted to wash their hands of him, I don't see any way that they're going to be trading away another high draft pick to bring in a player. This was the big splash move. Maybe they make another move with a late round pick, but it isn't going to be for Chase Young, I don't think. Our next question here coming from Sam Brunson, 15. Now that we have shored up the interior D-line, are there any more pieces missing from our team to get us to a championship? It seems we have the most talented, well-rounded, deepest team we've had in a decade. Your thoughts, Rob? I think I agree 100% with Sam Brunson, 15. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, this is the deepest and that's one of the things that I'm excited about is just the depth. I mean, we talked about the 49ers, um, you know, and then the fact that they've lost three straight now. And, uh, you know, they're reeling right now. And a big part of that is that they are losing some of their absolute best players. Everybody knows about Christian McCaffrey. Everybody talks about Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Trent Williams, the left tackle is an absolute Hall of Famer, first ballot. And his loss has been significant for the 49ers. The same thing with Debo Samuel at the wide receiver position. The lack of depth in some of these other elite teams around the NFL, I think, is something that the Seahawks kind of can scoff at a little bit. And, and that takes some pride in the fact that they have such great depth. I don't think that there is another move that they have to make. I think this young team has to continue to just keep improving, which they Pete Carroll has shown uh, throughout his entire time in the NFL that uh, that is typically what happens with his teams. I think that Geno Smith has to kind of continue to gel with his young receivers specifically. 
The offensive line hopefully is going to wind up getting better from a Seattle perspective. That secondary needs to kind of continue to gel with Jamal Adams, of course, returning to the field here recently. To me, every uh, every bit of evidence out there suggests the Seahawks are just getting started, as Pete Carroll you know, say, famously said a, a couple of weeks ago. And so, again, I think it's reason for the Seahawks, Seahawks fans to be very excited at this point. Our next question from Ian Brooks, 2344. Where do you see the newly acquired defensive lineman getting snaps in this rotation? Starting opposite Draymond, rotating evenly with Reed, Draymond, and Mario. Will we see him on the edge in certain packages? I guess I'm going to say yes, because <laughs> listen, this, this is going to be a lot of fun to see how the Seahawks deploy Leonard Williams because as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 600-plus snaps in his career over the A-gap. He's had over 1,000 snaps where he has been in five-tech over the tackle, over 1,000 snaps where he's been out wide, over 3,000 snaps in a three-tech. I mean, you name it, he's probably played it on the defensive line for the Jets and the Giants, and he has that rare size and athleticism combo to go with physicality and tenacious uh, mindset. All that stuff checks off. And so I think the Seahawks are going to have a lot more flexibility with what they're going to be able to do. I expect that he is probably going to vault into the starting lineup. We might see more of those bare fronts where you're going to see Draymond Jones and you're going to see Leonard Williams at the three tech. And then you're going to see Jaron Reed at the nose. That is a chance to be a vicious trio out there. And oh, by the way, Mario Edwards is having a fantastic season for them rotating in and they can do a lot of mixing and matching. But what this is really going to do is it's going to help Jaron Reed get a few more snaps off during games and keep him fresh. As great as he's been, he's been on the field a ton. So this is going to get all these guys a little bit more rest. And I think Draymond Jones is the one that's going to be playing off the edge a little bit more. We've seen the Seahawks sprinkle that in a little bit, but when they get an even fronts and early downs, he can be an absolute monster rushing against tackles with his power. And we've already seen that some this year in a few instances they've done that. So I think Leonard Williams is mostly going to be playing that three tech for Seattle, but they'll play him some at the nose. He might slide out a little bit. Draymond Jones is going to be the one that you might see playing that end position. And you might even have Jaron Reed and uh, Mario Edwards or one of the other defensive tackles playing at the same time. They, they, you're going to find ways to get all three of these guys in the field. And that's what makes it really exciting and an interesting addition for the Seahawks. And our last question here coming from D Panky 827. How confident are you in the Gino to DK connection becoming efficient? Like it was early in the season was yesterday, largely the result of DK not practicing last week. Not in my opinion. I think it certainly had some impact on it. I mean, it just, uh, you know, we're talking about such, uh, you know, such difficult timing, you know, when we talk about professional sports, they make it look so easy. But I think that awful lot of, of credit has to go to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, Martin Emerson is a good cornerback. Um, you know, certainly Denzel Ward is a very good cornerback as well. Both of them um, lined up against DK Metcalf. And I think the Seahawks, you know, frankly, were a little worried to try to go deep where DK Metcalf really can be very, very effective. Um, just because I think that they were concerned with being able to keep Geno Smith upright. Um, you know, of course, the, the 
biggest play that DK Metcalf made in terms of his as a receiver. It was incredible. It was a great block um, that actually sprung JSN for the, the game winning touchdown. But as a receiver, it was just a beautiful ball by Geno Smith over the top, and DK Metcalf was able to kind of cradle in. It's difficult to have that amount of time to allow you to do those types of, of throws. So I, I think that the biggest reason why DK Metcalf didn't have a splashy performance, beside, be, uh, despite the fact that I believe that he had 14 um, different targets in uh, Sunday's game, is just the fact that, again, the Cleveland Browns are a pretty darn good football team. Statistically, the number one defense in all of the NFL. And I think sometimes you just kind of tip your cap to the opponent a little bit. Yeah, that really, to me, going back and watching the All-22, that's what I noticed. And there were some missed throws by Geno Smith, too, that weren't DK Metcalf's fault. Now, there were a few times that I thought he could have maybe made a little bit more of it. And I don't even know if effort's the right word, but being more aggressive, trying to play the football, there were a few times with that, too. So, as I mentioned on yesterday's postgame show, I think this is a little bit of both, that Geno Smith and DK Metcalf both had some mistakes that played into this 14 target, but just five catch thing. But you also got to give the Cleveland Browns a lot of credit for the talent that they have in that secondary and with the pass rush they bring to the equation. It, it makes life tough for opposing offenses. Up next, we're going to dish out our Monday musings, our in-depth takeaways, offense, defense, special teams coming out of yesterday's win over the Cleveland Browns. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought your way by our friends at DoorDash. Why root for your team on an empty stomach? That is a game day travesty that ensures you won't be cheering at your very best. Order on DoorDash and save on football watch party favorites. Right now, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order with the code Locked On 23 When I'm kicking back and watching the game with friends and family, I love to order Jet City Pizza, my favorite gluten-free pizza place in the Seattle region. And of course, I've got to have a two-liter root beer, and my wife's got to have some cinnamon sticks for the rest of the party. The DoorDash app makes the process easy, so I don't have to leave the comfort of my couch for delicious, great-tasting food before and after kickoff. It's so simple. I've ordered Jet City off the DoorDash app so much. The people who manage the restaurant, they know me by name. Ready to satisfy your taste buds on game day? Quench those cravings with your favorite local restaurants via DoorDash. Get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $15 or more on your first order on the DoorDash app, entering the code LOCKED23. Subject to change, terms apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. as your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host and crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you so much for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's time to shift gears to our weekly Monday musings. The Seahawks jumping into first place yesterday with a 24-20 win over the Cleveland Browns in their beautiful throwback uniforms those exceeded expectations yesterday but moving away from the uniforms we could talk about those shiny silver helmets all day long but let's get to our monday musings our in-depth takeaways and rob what's the first thing that jumps out to you looking back on this victory over the cleveland browns the, my favorite thing about this win was not just the fact that, of course, that it is kind of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat at the end. It made it such a, a dramatic victory, kind of uh, kind of fitting um, because of the fact that it was a return to the the silver helmets and the royal blue jerseys and all of that. That that just made it awesome. But my favorite thing about it, Corbin, was the fact that it was like a total team victory. You know, a lot of times you can pin all the credit on the quarterback or all the credit on the defense or whatever the 
case might be. I love the fact that uh, you know Geno Smith had to you know had to take some lumps in, in this game. The offensive line played very very well in this game, in my opinion. You saw some splashy runs by Ken Walker the third as well as Zach Charbonnet. You saw Tyler Lockett, who sometimes just doesn't get as much attention as he should, with all the talk about DK Metcalf, of course, with JSN and, and more Bobo and all that kind of stuff. The tight ends making some big plays on the defensive side of the ball. Boye Moffitt, tip of the cap, you know, fifth consecutive game with a sack. That's awesome. But Daryl Taylor making a couple of splashy plays as well. A sack when they absolutely needed it. Uh, you know, an, an, a tackle for loss that he basically created because of that upfield burst that we had talked about before. Bobby Wagner, of course, just doing what Bobby Wagner does in the middle there. Um, and it wasn't just, uh, you know, Devon Witherspoon. Who we you know kind of started to rely on a little bit here, I think, from the Seattle secondary perspective. But that you know Trey Brown gets a huge PBU. Um, of course, Rick Woolen winds up getting his first interception. Jamal Adams comes in and basically headbutts an interception that Julian Love gets for the you know the, the game uh, game sealer in a lot of ways. So to me, that is one of the things I loved about this game. That this one felt like there were so many different elements of the Seattle Seahawks 2023 version that one of football game the way the great Seahawks teams of the 80s 90s previous generations that they used to sometimes have to will victories because frankly they didn't have as much talent as some of the other teams out there other than they did the guys like Dave Craig Steve Large and Jacob Green proud with the way they came together as a team and got this victory yeah and I think nothing suggests the team victory aspect more than seeing what the offensive line did yesterday and you can talk about continuity, and I still think that's incredibly important with the offensive line. This was the first time all year they've had the second, or the, this is the first time all year in two straight games they had the same starting offensive line. So that tells you where things have been at from an injury perspective. They have just had guys in and out of the lineup. It really has been musical chairs, and Andy Dickerson has done a fantastic job. But my takeaway here, this is coming from the mouth of Pete Carroll and also just from my observations here, but the rotations on the offensive line – those are here to stay. And I'm not saying that they're going to be rotating out Charles Cross or they're going to be mixing out Damian Lewis necessarily, but it's evident. And Pete Carroll talked about today. He wants to move away from that mindset that we've seen coaches in the NFL have for decades where I want the same offensive lineman, the same five guys out there every single snap. And obviously in a perfect world, that's the way that it goes. You have a really good starting lineup and you keep those guys healthy, but he's starting to look at it kind of like the defensive line. Why not rotate in some players at guard, keep guys fresh. We can develop young players doing things that way. And the Seahawks believe in their depth enough to be able to do that. We saw it yesterday, Stone Forsyth. I wonder, is there an injury? A couple drives in, they put Jason Peters, the ageless wonder in there. And, and he played really well, by the way. The 41-year-old had an excellent final drive when Geno Smith was driving down to get that game winner to Jack Smith and Jigba. But they were mixed and matching those two players with great success in yesterday's game. That was not the reason they went seven drives without any points. The offensive line was playing fine, but both those players looked really good in that setup. And we've seen rotation with the guards. Last year was Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson. They have found ways to successfully do that. And based on what Pete Carroll said today, like that is a philosophy shift for him and his staff the last couple of years that they're moving away from that idea. Hey, we got to just have five guys that's the only players we're going to be playing in the offensive line. 
they've switched away from that. And now they are more than willing to adapt and mix and match guys from a development standpoint. Pete Carroll said he believes it makes his football team better. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing Seattle's offensive line survive all these injuries is because of that mindset. They have built the depth to be able to withstand that. No, exactly. It's developing the mindset is kind of the perfect segue here uh, where I was going to go next. And I 100% agree with you as far as the offensive line. I mentioned it before with, uh, you know, the 49ers, some of the other teams out there that I think are, are so reliant on a couple of their superstars that should any of those players go down, they really could be in trouble. And I think that the Seahawks, you know, are, are proving that they can withstand um, some of the body blows that are going to accumulate over the course of a 17-game regular season, including along the offensive line. But it, again, it's that mindset that, uh, you know, I want to talk about here. It's the mindset specifically of the quarterback, Geno Smith. You know, Corbin, part of the reason why Geno Smith wound up being a backup for seven years there is because there were times when things started to fall apart, they really would avalanche on him. Um, he would start to force the ball he would try to uh you know just play hero ball at times make throws that you know really you don't need to make take tuck the ball and run try to just uh take the game over and just put everything on his own shoulders and there were moments certainly where the offense was stagnant against cleveland uh yesterday but at the same time i thought that he showed great poise great leadership in keeping his cool allowing the game to come to him now there were definitely some moments where i thought oh my goodness that's going to be a pick six that's going to be a uh, you know an interception thrown in in the end zone maybe uh, i remember the the throw to dk metcalf their double coverage i thought oh he's not going to be able to pull this off but instead in fact he did and so there are some out there of course who are still very critical of seattle's quarterback and don't think that geno smith can win the big game in the clutch and yet that's exactly what he's done now for the third time in basically a year and a half as seattle's starting quarterback i asked you to go back and think about what Russell Wilson had to do when everybody believed that he couldn't do these types of things as the short quarterback and all the different reasons why Russell Wilson couldn't be successful. Pete Carroll and his philosophy continues to, uh, you know, to help quarterbacks really develop. Geno Smith is proving that he is somebody that can win the game when the lights are shining brightest, when the pressure is at its peak. Um, and so I, I think that he deserves a great deal of credit. It was obviously not his greatest statistical game, but I thought that he did a nice job of not letting the thing snowball into a loss by rising above all of that and helping the Seahawks win this game. You can say whatever you want, and there were a couple bad throws in that game by him. It was not close to his best performance, and I was critical of him yesterday on the show. I'm going to remain critical. There were some misses he's got to be able to complete as a quarterback now that has much higher expectations, but his three game-winning drives, and this was mentioned yesterday, that's the most since the beginning of the 2022 season in that setup. So he has been able to get that clutch gene going a little bit. And that was an issue that some fans had with him. He is finding ways to win these games and he is keeping even keeled. He's not letting those mistakes that he made early in the game get to him. He's redeeming himself. And so he does deserve some credit for that. As far as, I don't want to say this is a negative coming out of yesterday's game. The Cleveland Browns still only ran for 3.9 yards per carry, but they, they toted the rock 40 times. And as the game went on, they were able to wear down Seattle's defense. I did see some signs that losing Uchenna Nuosu was going to negatively impact that run defense, though. I, I felt like Daryl Taylor and Frank Clark and Derek Hall, for that matter, all three of those players, they had plays where they lost contain or they got kicked out 
by a block that opened up a crease for a running back. And those are some things that upcoming teams are going to be looking at. They're going to try to really attack that deficiency without Uchenna Nuosu out there. So my argument is I think that there is room to still go out and try to make one more move. And I'm not saying go after Daniil Hunter or Chase Young or a big name like that, but I've thrown this name out there a few times. Carl Lawson, the New York Jets aren't even making him active. So why not pitch an idea to the Jets? Hey, we'll give you a sixth round pick. You give us a seventh. We'll do a pick swap, and then we'll just take Carl Lawson off your hands or a a trade of that type. That is the other deal that I could see John Schneider making here, and I think Carl Lawson would be an excellent scheme fit in this defense for Seattle. You talk about a guy that plays with a motor. He would be a nice fit, and, and I think from a run defense standpoint, historically he hasn't gotten the best grades from PFF, but he is a player that, I feel like you're not going to have the issues with the contain and he's going to be physical setting an edge. So that is the type of move that I still think coming out of yesterday's game. I'm wondering, is is that a move that still needs to be made to try to bring in somebody else that can play maybe a bit more run defense in that position that also has some pass rushing pedigree, which Carl Lawson certainly has. As far as my final takeaway coming out of this game, though, I've got to go to the defensive side. And you mentioned the reliability, you know, almost being reliant on Devin Witherspoon to make big plays the last couple of weeks. The Browns really didn't test him much at all in yesterday's game. And I think what you're seeing is a young superstar corner that teams are going to start building their game plan to try to avoid like the plague. That's what is going to happen. You're looking at a player that has shown he can make an impact blitzing. He can make an impact in coverage. He can make an impact as a run defender. Cleveland really didn't test him much yesterday. I think he gave up one reception on six targets, which quite frankly, that's PFF numbers. I need to go back and do my own charting on this, but it it didn't feel like watching the game that they targeted him that many times. It just seemed like P.J. Walker, the game plan was, look, we'll we'll throw at Reek Woolen, we'll throw at Trey Brown, we'll, we'll throw at the safeties, but we're not throwing anywhere near where number 21 is at. And I think that's going to start, start being the way teams are going to game plan for this Seahawks defense. And that, that's the ultimate compliment as a corner. If teams aren't throwing the ball at you, there's a reason why they are doing that. And it takes away a part of the field. You don't see that with slot corners really ever either. And so that's a big difference maker for Seattle's defense that I think could be a positive. And from Devin Witherspoon's perspective, he's probably chopping the bit a little bit like, hey, why don't you throw the ball a little bit more at me? But it does seem like teams are going to be game planning more to try to cater to not throwing the football in his direction as much with the damage that he's done early in his NFL career. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and I was kind of anticipating that, to be honest with you. That was one of the reasons why I thought that Reek Woolen might uh, you know, get his first interception of the season against the Browns because Witherspoon has been that good. And, I, yeah, I, I think that NFL teams are going to have to try to change their passing philosophy to try to avoid his side of the field, which means that guys like Reek Woolen and Trey Brown are going to get more balls thrown at them. And I think that that is good news for the Seahawks because both – Rick Woolen and Trey Brown have demonstrated that they have the hands and the playmaking ability with the ball in their hands to be able to make, uh, you know, turn interceptions into possible touchdowns for the, the Seahawks. My final point that I want to make sure that I mention here is because I do believe that it is critical to the Seahawks being able to continue their success is just to remain committed to the run. Corbin, I was stunned when I looked at the statistics at the end of the game and saw that Kenneth Walker III averaged 8.3 yards per carry and yet only had eight 
rushing attempts. Now, granted, a lot of that is because Zach Charbonnet was used a lot in this game. But considering how effective that Ken Walker III was in the opening drive of the game, I believe that he had three of the first five or six uh, plays uh, from the line of scrimmage for the, for the Seahawks were running uh, runs by Ken Walker III. And for him not to get more attempts until into the fourth quarter, essentially, um, was uh, you know it was kind of troubling to me. Now, obviously, Seattle's inability to keep the ball and and move the chains contribute a lot to that. But I think sometimes the Seahawks can uh, you know just just started to, uh, to focus too much on the passing game and not continue to remain committed to their running game. I really think the Seahawks have one of the more dynamic one-two punches and maybe one, two, three, four punches when you consider uh, Kenny McIntosh and DJ Dallas as well. But I really think the Seahawks have a pretty damn dynamic running game and they have to continue to use it, not fall in love with the passing game. I think that's the best way of supporting Geno Smith, the best way to continue to get victories. Yeah, I felt like 13 carries for the running backs was way too low yesterday with the success that they were having. And Cleveland stuffed them a few times, but there were some big plays, and it just felt like they kind of left an advantage there on the table that they didn't capitalize fully on. So they've got to figure out how to get a little bit more balanced because with the weapons they've got in that run game and the way the line's playing right now, that should be an asset that takes some of the pressure off of Geno Smith moving forward. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll dish out some words of wisdom, our final thoughts coming out of Sunday's game against Cleveland and start looking towards a very good Baltimore Ravens team that the Seahawks will be battling on the road next weekend. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.